Are you tired of all the voices who say, focus on the bottom line numbers? Say whatever you have to, just close the sale. Just get the credit card. It doesn't matter what you deliver. You will never build a successful business until you grow a pair and stop caring so much. Here, we respectfully disagree. We give you permission to embrace who you are, how much you care, and encourage you to design a business that works for you and your clients. Welcome to The Art of Giving a Damn, the podcast that proves with every single episode that you can create a profitable business doing what you're passionate about and making a positive difference in the world. Now, here's your host, Michelle Schaefer. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. My guest today is Steve Sims. Steve, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So by way of introduction for anyone who doesn't recognize that name, Steve is the founder of Bluefish. You may have heard of the book Bluefishing. If you haven't, pause this wherever you're listening or watching. Go download the book and then come back. It will be one of the smartest things you have ever done for your business. All right. Back to the bio, you are are, a founder of one of the top personal concierge services and an expert marketer within the luxury industry. You've been quoted in everything from the Wall Street Journal to Forbes, uh, London Sunday Times, South China Morning Post. I don't know that there's anywhere you haven't been quoted uh, because you are sort of like the Wizard of Oz. The list of things that you have made happen for clients is absolutely amazing and I can't wait to dive into that you somehow just don't take no for an answer you make the impossible happen so let's start there what inspired you to start bluefish and to go into an industry where you are constantly facing the impossible oh that's stupidity um, okay <laughs> I have the uh, I have the same disease that most entrepreneurs do in the fact that we can't believe we can't do it. Um, and I was a, 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 I was a bricklayer from East London. And like everything, you know, you don't, you don't walk onto the moon. You know, you've got to build a rocket and blah. There's all these steps in between. Right. But um, I just decided that as a, as a bricklayer from London, you know, you are the combination of the five people you kick around mm. with. Therefore, the, my five closest mates were whiskey-drinking bikers. That wasn't probably going to make me a billion. So mm-hmm. I needed to, to change that. Um, and uh, I just went out on a, on a journey to try and better myself, find a new angle, not have to worry about having a couple of beers mm-hmm. and can like counting the costs. You know, I never liked going up and saying, how much is your beer? But, you know, hey, that's what we yeah. used to have to do. You know, there mm-hmm. were times that we walked through the grocery stores and as we're putting stuff in the basket, we're kind of in our head trying to add it up. Um, I didn't want to do that my luxury was to be able to put stuff in the basket and not worry about it. Um, and that's what I did. So I went out to try and find a better way of, of doing stuff for myself. Uh, tried many different things, failed a ton, mm. uh, never cared. Um, okay. I discovered that, you know, my clients, you know, the, the Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's, all these people in the planet, um, are serial failures yet. They don't let it define them. They allow it to refine them. And so I was like, yeah, all right. So me tripping over and scraping my knee taught me, you know, to avoid the, uh, to avoid the curb. And so that's what I did. I just failed an incredible amount and never recognized it, but grew from it. 
and carried on with the power of stupidity and ignorance and got me to where I am today. <laughs> the power of stupidity and ignorance. You know, sometimes we jump off the cliff without necessarily knowing what we've gotten ourselves into and it works. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's 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 most. You see, the funny thing is, we can sit here and I can tell you stories about the Pope and the Titanic and stuff like that. But the simple fact is that every entrepreneur's journey is pretty much the same. It's up and down, up and down. It's a it's a roller coaster that wouldn't be legal in any country anywhere, but it's the route that we choose as entrepreneurs. It's a stupid life of risk and re- reward, challenge and disappointment. Um, being screwed over, being laughed at. I remember, I don't know, I'm sorry, we're, we're going all over the place already, but I remember chatting with uh, Elon Musk uh, down mm-hmm. at SpaceX, uh, SpaceX, and he turned around to me and he said, um, they laugh at you before they applaud. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is so right. So I, that, that, that little nugget there from, uh, from Mr. Elon. So there you go, pass that along. That's a great perspective to keep as we're going through all of those phases of the journey. It's, it's always interesting to hear about where people started because a lot of times people will look at somebody who's got a company like you've got and think, well, they must've been born into a wealthy family. They must've been around people who knew all these things. And, and so often when I talk to entrepreneurs, they're like, no, I started, you know, behind the start line. I started way back here and I just made a decision that I was going to change my life and didn't Mm -hmm. take no for an answer. And I I love that. So what would you say was the, the most effective way that you changed who those five people were around you? Cause that's a conversation I have with a lot of people. How do you make those connections when you don't have them yet? I think the problem is that we get comfortable in our rut Mm-hmm. Um, we, are we, we learn to suffer the inadequacies of others. We learn to settle mm-hmm. at that level of standards and all of those things bring us down. The thing that I think was, was that I did really lucky. If I can kind of like pin one of those kind of like, yeah, you got it right there, boy was as a bricklayer in London, I did the stupid thing of trying to get a job as a stockbroker in Hong Kong. Okay. And because I knew I hated being a, a bricklayer. I knew I hated being poor. And mm. in the late 80s and 90s, you revered the world of Wall Street. And you looked at all of these right. young guys with their Rolexes and their red you know, sports cars. And I just thought they are the epitome of the opposite of me. Um, mm which was a black T-shirt wearing tattooed biker. I wanted the opposite. Um, fast forward now, I'm 53 years old. I'm in a black T-shirt. I've got more tattoos, <laughs> more piercings, and I'm in a garage now that's filled with motorbikes, so I don't have a car. So I'm not quite sure if I progressed. Um, but uh, I managed to get a job as a bank was sending 160 employees over to Hong Kong to start a new branch of their bank. Because of that big number of people, I was able to kind of like get through the cracks. And um, I interviewed well because I was always good at talking to people. And every time they would ask me a question, I'd be like, that's a great question, but really love your tie. Where'd you get your tie from? And I would deflect like a seasoned politician. (laughs) Wow. Um, And I managed to get the job. And I turned up on the Saturday in Hong Kong, um, partied with them all on the Saturday night, partied with them on the Sunday night, went to orientation on the Monday was called into the office on the Tuesday and fired. Um, So I'm now in Hong Kong. Wow. No money, no job, 
no friends, no support mechanism. Now, they did wow. allow me to stay at the apartment for a little bit uh, while I found a way to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this did was, was while it was a very down, down, dark time of my life, and I remember in the early days walking around the streets of Hong Kong, quite bluntly looking for trouble, you know, because it, I, I wanted to kind of vent out, you know, because I'd got myself here. Yeah. I had nothing now. What an idiot I was and all that kind of stuff. I realized I'd broken the chain. Um, I realized that all of a sudden I couldn't lean on my friends. I couldn't lean on their standards. I couldn't go into a building site. I couldn't do any of those things. So it was the fact that it was, as as Tony Robbins always says, it was a huge pattern interrupt in my life that I went, all right. And my dad had always been, you know, big, thick Irish fellow had always said, you know, you, you make your own path uh, that you walk. And I thought to myself, in fact, he said a saying to me when I was a little kid, he said, no one ever, uh, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. Mm. And I remember being in Hong Kong one o'clock in the morning, rolling around the bars, trying to find someone that wanted to get a bit fisty. Um, and I suddenly thought, myself, is this really it? Is mm. this really what I want? Is this really the smartest I can be. Mm. And it was then I went, no, I've got to do something else. And um, that was it. I, I decided to get out there and try and associate with uh, affluent people because guess what? Poor people can't afford you. Right. Poor, people, poor people don't buy things. People with no money are terrible customers. You know, <laughs> those things yeah. are bloody obvious. So why is it whenever we see anyone market, they market to the people they understand, i.e. poor, because we've all been poor. We all understand poverty. We all understand not having a lot of money. We know how to speak that speak. Mm-hmm. But when you're selling a $1,000 product, stop talking to them. Talk right. to the people that can. And so I was very, and you probably worked it out already, I'm a very primitive individual. You know, if one and two make three, then there's the answer. So if I'm going to make money, don't go and hang out where poor people are. Go and hang out where rich people are. And I managed to get a job, um, you know, being born, you know, big, thick, and ugly. Um, I managed to get a job on a door. Uh, mm-hmm. So it enabled me to see people that were just coming in for a couple of beers that night. But it also enabled me to see affluent people that mm-hmm. wanted, you know, a special area of the club and they wanted bottle service. And I noticed, I suddenly started to notice them and read them. And I'd always been pretty good at chatting. I think that's the the East London boy in me. But I managed to work out what I could bring to the party. Now, in any relationship, you've got to bring value, okay? If there's no value in the relationship you have, then guess what? You haven't got a relationship. So Mm. I thought to myself, if I can bring something to affluent people that makes them want to talk to me, then we can start a relationship. So what I started doing was just checking out where were the new parties that night, where were the hot nightclubs. And I started going up to them going, hey, Bobby, you know, you're a regular here. Um, there's another club that's just opened up down the road. Go down there, tell them Sim sent you. You'll have a good time. And all of a sudden I started becoming uh, the, the, like the, the Google of the late 90s of where the best <laughs> clubs were in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Okay. And it started to be, hey, you want to go to the premiere? You want to go to a fashion show? Hey, there's the opening of a new art gallery i became the social calendar and then i started throwing my own events and then i started sending people on travel excursions and bucket lists and it just it layered upon layered upon layered upon layered 
But the daft thing was, it started because I wanted to talk to a rich person. I never expected me 20 plus years later to be marketing and branding for some of the biggest jewelry brands in the world, consulting some of the most luxurious brands out there and being part of events from, you know, Elton John's Oscar party to, to the fashion weeks um, and having clients that not only are rich and famous, but also some of the richer and unknown people in the planet. Never expected that I was building an industry. It all started for me wanting to be able to talk to a rich person. Wow. You know, there's a couple of things that I love about what you just said that I hope people caught. One of them is, is you mentioned you're back in that same black t-shirt with motorcycles in your garage, the tattoos and piercings. And one of the misconceptions I think a lot of people have is that uh, when you succeed with something, it completely changes who you are. And in some ways, you do grow, you shift, but at your core, you're the same person mm. that you were. And, and I love that you're an example of that, that you can still be you and be successful. Well, uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Business, and especially entrepreneurs, we know what it's like because, you know, like the old saying, we work 80 hours a week to avoid working for someone yes. else for 40 um, there's a lot of effort required to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Why use any part of that effort on being someone that you're not? And so I want to be able to, I, look, this is me. Love it, leave it. It's not going to offend either of us. We'll still part ways and I'm sure we'll be good. But if you work with me, you kind of know who I am very quickly yeah. and it saves us both a ton of effort. Um, and that's what I want to do. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things about the entrepreneurial space is when you show up as yourself, the people who are attracted to you as clients know what they're getting and they're ready to invest in working with you. You know, the other thing you said that I thought was interesting, and it's such common sense, but people miss it as if you actually want to build a profitable, successful business, you do have to go where there is money to be spent, where there are people who want to invest in what you offer. Mm. Um, you know, and it's interesting to look at the business model that you've got. One of the things I want to talk about is the distillery and the courses that you put together because you've taken what you do, you've done it successfully, worked up to a level where you are working with not just the rich and famous, but I love your website because you literally do not disclose what clients you did certain things for because mm-hmm. they're not the out there in the public. And that goes to knowing your audience and knowing that people at a certain level don't want you to to drop their names in that way. Um, But you've then taken it and turned it into something that you're teaching entrepreneurs and others how to do what you've done, how to make the impossible possible. So let's talk about the distillery and what inspired you to start sharing those secrets of success. Well, it it kind of, um, I'm a great believer in get going, then get good. And as we, as we alluded right at the beginning, I think our greatest growth can come from our greatest failures and mistakes. And as I grew and as I got to do these things, it was a case of, hang on a minute, there's a bricklayer from East London riding around on motorcycles that's now getting a couple married at the Vatican by the Pope. If I can do it, you're, you're shit out of excuses. That's the bottom line. And mm-hmm. I couldn't understand how most people's failings and obstacles are actually created by themselves. Nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, we're our biggest problem. And so when I was approached years ago to do a book uh, to expose the rich and famous and what they spend their money on, right. 
I said to him, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. You know, there's no way in the world that could ever see the light of day. Um, and so then I did a speech. I think it was a Joe Polish's 25K event, the Genius Network. And mm-hmm. there was someone in the audience that saw it and sent it over to Simon Schuster. And they went, we know him. Um, and they came back to me and they said, how about doing a book? Not on who you do it for, but what you do. Yeah. And I thought to myself, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of shake people up. And, you know, it's the usual thing. You know, you're not trying to change a million people. You're trying to change one. If you end up changing two, great. If you end up changing five, brilliant. But always focus on that core person that you're trying to help. So I wrote the book in order to help one person. And it went stupid. It, it, it took off. The audio book did very well. Um, it just went and I started doing more speaking and I launched a course called Sims distillery yeah. and it's on simsdistillery.com. Yeah. little plug there. Um, and it was the idea that we would break it down from the book in video format, mm-hmm. but then also we would add stuff to it. So it's a growing library. So anyone that gets in it today, will see a bunch of stuff. Anyone that's still there in six months time to Every month we add more videos and we also have these AMAs and we have a private Facebook page and we get people that have joined Sims Distillery and they go, how do I do, uh, how do I communicate like this? Or I'm trying to speak to my child or I'm trying to uh, write a book or I'm trying to write a website. You know, how do I do really good copy? If I can't answer it, because I'm not the master of everything by far, I know a few things really well. A lot of things quite good and a million things terribly. Um, but I know people that are brilliant right. and I'm pretty damn well connected. So I will bring people yeah. in. And we had a guy the other day that said, hey, I want to do some videos at home. How do I do good videos? I brought in the guy that's responsible for doing all the Victoria's Secrets adverts. Oh, and well, okay. He spoke about how to sell your brand, how to seduce your audience, now, this guy's done Ralph Lauren, he's done Victoria's, he's done a whole bunch of stuff, but he broke it down on how to tell a story. I had guy that said he wanted to do the impossible. I brought in the man behind We Are The World with Michael Jackson's song, one of the all-time selling hits. Um, then I had another person that said to me they want to talk to me about uh, intimacy within a conversation. Mm-hmm. I brought in America's number one requested prostitute regarding intimacy and here's the thing that will shock you most of her clients have never had sex with her because they just want permission Mm. and they get that permission through paying to engage in conversation without being judged Mm. and just think about that for a second people are paying to have permission to enter into a conversation because nine times out of ten having a conversation is scary you don't think it's scary try this Pull up at the red light, okay, and look at the person left or right of you in a car and make on co- eye contact and see how fast it scares the hell out of them. Or yeah. go into Starbucks, order your coffee, and try and strike up a conversation with someone and see how frightened they get real quick. We're getting terrified to engage within each other. Mm-hmm. So that's how the distillery came around. As I say, we, we, do, we do all these different ways to hopefully shake people up to get them back to the core of what's the whole point of communicating and being in a relationship. Because at the end of the day, we are the slowest evolving technology in the planet and we are pack animals. We need 
what we're doing now. We need eye contact. We need to understand. We need to be relatable. We need to relate. We need to connect. Yeah, you know, that's that's such a missing piece for so many people when it comes to just interaction with the world around them. They're not having those intimately connected conversations with people where they just share the reality of who they are, of what they believe. And it's something that if we can figure out how to have relationships built on that, I mean, that's, that's exactly what makes a business work is when you can have those conversations and build those relationships with people. So I have to ask a question that I know everybody listening is wondering right now. So for people who join Sims Distillery, do they get access to back interviews as well, like the ones you just mentioned? Yeah, they do. They do. We have, (laughs) um, you get not only, not only the course, which is a breakdown of the book in video format, you get all the videos. You also, whenever I'm speaking at events, so I'm throwing my events, you guys get to know about it first. And so you get all of the back stuff, but then you also get to dictate the forward stuff. So you actually get to do the AMA. You can actually send me a note and I will get the note and you will go, Hey, I want to learn. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone asked me the other day about um, they want to become a better communicator. So I got the guy that's the number one uh, hall of fame speaker done over, I think like 3000 paid gigs. I got him on to actually uh, reverse engineer the anatomy of what makes a good speech. And then I had another person um, send us a a note that said, I'm thinking of doing a book. Do I get it self-published or do I publish it? What's the difference? So I've got one of the top people in the planet coming on, I think in a couple of weeks' time, that's going to tell you what's the difference and and how to write a book. Because everyone has a story. Everyone should help write a book. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I know I'm not the only one sitting here going, okay, I'm going to need access to those interviews (laughs) as well as to what you're sharing about doing the impossible. Uh, You know, one of the things that I wondered as I was reading through your book and looking at the website and some of the things that you've done, I know there's got to be times along the way when you go to set up these impossible things for clients because you've had clients want some crazy things that a lot of people wouldn't even dare to ask if we're possible. How do you go about dealing with it when somebody says no at first? All right. So I'm glad you asked that question. And believe it or not, very few people do uh, do ask that. Um, I'm going to give you an answer, and then I'm going to tell you a story if I, if I have permission. Absolutely. All right. So if you get a no, it's because you've asked the wrong question or the wrong mm. person. Okay. I learned that from a year ago. I don't want to take the liability. So if I walk up to you and I say, um, hey, can I, can I have that picture behind you? Can, can we take it off the wall and can I take it home? Then you've got two answers that make sense to come out of your mouth. It's yes or no. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's a 50-50 chance that I'm going to get that picture that's behind your head. Okay? If I turn around and I say to you, hey, what needs to happen for me to be able to go home with that painting? Okay. You cannot turn around and go, no, because you sound like an illiterate moron. You would have to turn around and go, I, I don't want you to have that painting. Really? Why not? I thought we were friends. Or wouldn't it be nice if I could actually give you another painting to take that place as maybe, you know, something more relatable to you? You know, bottom line of it is we ask a question to enter into a conversation. When you, enter, when you ask a question and come and answer with a yes or a no, that's a conversation killer. You know, can I have that painting? Yes. 
Even if I get what I want, that's a conversation killer. Right. So never ask a question that you could be answered with a yes or no. And if you do get a yes or no, A, you shouldn't have asked that bloody question. And B, maybe you're not answered. Like maybe, maybe your boyfriend, maybe your partner, maybe your best friend, maybe your mum, maybe your dad owns that picture. And you're not the authority to be able to give me the picture. So maybe you'll turn around and you'll say, if you ask the question right, maybe you'll say something like, I'm sorry, I can't give that to you. You know, and then you can go, why can't you? It's my mum's. Ah, may I speak to your mum? You know, so it's that kind of thing. So you, you work out who's the right person to ask the question to. So here's, here's my little story. So I had a client that asked me uh, to set up an exclusive restaurant in Florence. And um, I said, this isn't in the book. So this is a different story for you. Um, So I decided to set that up for him. And I've never failed. Uh, And the reason I've never failed is because I've never given the client what they asked me for. Hmm. That's the first tip of the day. Okay. If, If I got the client a really cool restaurant reservation in Florence, I've given him just what he wanted, which basically means I could be replaced by Amazon very quickly. Okay, so I needed to find a way of giving him something that he couldn't even vision. So I went to Florence and I did this over two days, by the way. I went to Florence and I thought, where in Florence is so quintessentially um, Florence, it couldn't be replicated anywhere else in the world. Like if you're in France and I set you up with a picnic and the, and the Eiffel Tower's behind you, you're in Paris. Okay, right. if you're in London and you, 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 you're playing around and Buckingham Palace is there, you're in Buckingham Palace. Where could you be in Florence that you couldn't be anywhere else in the world? Now, there's loads of great artwork and there's loads of great museums and there's loads of great buildings and, and great um, uh, cathedrals and things. But there's only one statue of Michelangelo's in Florence, and that is the most famous statue in the planet, David. Okay. Right. So I contacted them and I had some friends of mine, pretty powerful people, contact them and get me the people that need that I needed to be able to get access. Okay. And even when I got the access and we set up, you know, short, short story, a uh, long story short, we set up a table of six at the feet of a closed down museum at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And then halfway through that pasta, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade the clients while they're having their dinner. Okay. Wow. So that's what I pulled off. Now, I was given permission to do this Mm -hmm. because I asked some of the right questions, but more importantly, I knew the right people that could Mm -hmm. make the introductions. There were a few people that actually um, gave me just a little bit of attitude that I was doing it, okay? Okay. On the night, and I'll tell you this story, and this story will make me out to be a real dick, okay? And that's fine. I need to own up for that because I was a real pilchard this night. So at the event, there was a guy, and I won't say his name, uh, but he was very senior within the Academia Museum that allowed me to have it closed down. And he was giving me a little bit of kind of like, you know, I don't like you. You know, I don't like what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. You get, those, you get those people. And during the setup, I had Andrea Bocelli over in the left-hand side near his son on the piano, just getting his, getting his tone of voice ready. And in front of me, they were setting up the table. So this was beautiful. You know, it couldn't have been more picturesque. And the guy was stood there probably about 15 feet away from me. And I, again, fully admit it, being a bit of a dick, I wanted to poke him for giving me attitude. I wanted to bully him a little bit to let him know 
that I had got what I wanted. I don't know why I was being a dick that night. It's not usually my character, but he had wound me up with a few of his little glances and Mm -hmm. glares and sniffs and, you know, eyebrow. He just wound me up a little bit during the last two days. And again, being a dick, I wanted to put him in his place. I'm admitting that. So I called him over and he came over to me (coughs) and I said to him, I said, "Uh, the table looks beautiful, doesn't it? And, you know, there's the profile of David and the table, table being set up. And he said, uh, yes, it does. It looks, man, it looks stunning. Mm-hmm. I said, and Andrea Bocelli, he sounds pretty good tonight, doesn't he? He's like, he absolutely does. I said, are you and Andrea Bocelli tonight? He said, oh, yeah. I said, you ever met him? He's like, no, I never have. I said, oh, really? Okay. I said, uh, yeah, but you never thought you'd be seeing this close to him. He's like, no, I did not. I said, uh, so this is probably one of the most beautiful meals ever done, not only in the, the, the museum, but in Florence. And he's like, absolutely. Yeah. I said, did you ever think it would ever happen? He was like, no, I didn't. And of course, I'm getting all the confirmation that I had pulled off something brilliant. Okay. So I went for my last poke, my last rub of my ego, just to make it clear that, hey, I get what I want. I must have been in a bad mood that night. And so I turned around and I said, uh, so, you, you ever think this could be done? And he was like, no. I said, uh, so tell me, how, how come I managed to pull this off where other people hadn't? This was where I was expecting him to say things like, well, you know, you're so well connected, Mr. Sims, or, oh, you're the, the best negotiator in the world, or you're stunningly good looking. Any of those would have made me happy. They would have all been lies, especially the last one. But I expected one of those to come out, which would have been my last confirmation that, <laughs> see, I got what I wanted. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and he went, no one's ever asked. Mm. And he saw my shoulders slump and I suddenly realized that that mm. wasn't the answer I wanted. You know, that didn't make me look good. It just made everyone look bad. And I was like, oh, you're right. People don't ask for what they want. You know, if they did, I'd be out of a job. But let's be honest, if everyone asked for what they wanted and did something about it, I don't mind being out of a job because it'd be a much better world we'd be living in. Um, and I, I literally, the only thing I could do, turned around to the guy, gave him a damn great bear hug. Because let's be blunt, he had won that little verbal battle. You know, I had looked like a dick. He laughed at me. We went out that mm. night, got drunk. Four years later, I'm still tremendous friends with the guy. And I tell that story because I was the dick, he was the hero, and he, he, he pulled it off. But the bottom line of it is I came home and I started making some phone calls to some amazing things I'd done in the Pentagon and all these different places. And I said to him, I said, you do me a favor. You know, we did that a while back. How come we did it? And he went, well, you, you asked me. Huh. And it suddenly became apparent that that simplicity wow. of being completely transparent with what you wanted, bringing value to the table and, and asking for what you want, had got me to pull off some of the most amazing things in the world. And while everyone's sitting there in the background going, well, that's impossible. Yes, it is. It really is impossible. You can't do it because the second you say that it is, it's so. So (laughs) while you're sitting there saying it's impossible, you're going to make me look brilliant because I never recognized anything as impossible. If you wanted to go to the moon, I'd find a way. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. I'm not going to sit back and go, oh, that can't be done. There's a way that absolutely anything can be done. If you've got the clout, the connection, mm-hmm. the money, the passion, the creativity to solve that problem, it's not impossible. Wow. That was a 
really, really thought-provoking story <laughs> as well as just an incredible mindset shift to look at things and just say, you know, not yes or no, but how do we make it happen? I love and, that. And now everyone knows Steve Sims is a dick, so that's fine. You know, <laughs> if you ask for what you want, then, then I'll suffer that one. <laughs> That's a great challenge to everybody who is listening or watching right now. Ask for more of you what you want and ask in the way that you just heard. Don't ask a yes or no question. It makes it easier for somebody to just say no. Um, That's such a simple strategy, but makes such a big difference in the answer that we get. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today and coming on the show and sharing what you're up to in the world. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to go check out simsdistillery.com. There's going to be a link to it somewhere near where you are listening or watching today. Uh, I think you're going to find that that may just be an offer too good to refuse uh, with what's inside of it. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you. All right. For everybody listening, like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and we will catch you back again for another episode.